0: this is the do better podcast with dr megan miller and joe smith launching you into the future of behavior analysis
1: In today's episode, we are discussing behavior analysis abroad with nipa Bukhtani. This is Megan.
0: And this is Joe.
1: This is where we blast off to the final frontier of improving ourselves in the field of behavior analysis. Thank you for spending time with us. Now let us begin.
0: All right. So we are here with Megan Miller and Nipa And how is everyone doing? Well.
2: It's bright and sunny here in Abu Dhabi, and so I'm doing great.
1: (laughs) Thank you. I'm doing well, too.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Now, when you say bright and sunny, are you talking about bright and sunny in the 90s or like bright and sunny in the 70s?
2: Um, We do centigrade here, so I don't know what Uh, it is in Fahrenheit, but it is hot. So it is about... It's hot. (laughs) Yeah, it's hot, is what I would say. (laughs) Although this is just the start of the summer here. So, I mean, relatively, we could say it's not too bad uh, if we're living here. But I think, yeah, for other people, it is hot.
1: Yeah, I've been (laughs) to... the uae in april like mid april and i struggled <laughs> and i live in florida <laughs> so like, yeah. i can only imagine what it's like after that
2: <laughs> yeah it's, it's yeah. going to be hard during like corona times we, we've been okay because we've been able to go like you know be outside until now but i'm dreading the next three months now where we will have to be indoors and that's always harder to do with corona
1: Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. And it's like the opposite here, where opposite of, yeah. in the winter time, that's what the yeah. big concern was because it's so cold out, everybody's inside. But yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, I, I can only imagine now, like for me, like I like it being 70, and that's what I think is like the perfect temp. Like, so 70 would be a nice, you can be outside in jeans type of
2: weather, right? Yeah, like California type of weather. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 That's usually around December over here, as well. You would get that.
0: Okay, so definitely a flight to uh, Dubai in December. So yeah. awesome! I, I'll I'll do that.
1: All right. All right, Joe. We didn't ask you. You asked how we're doing. How are you doing? You good? Um. Uh, yeah, I'm doing good.
0: Um, you know, just keeping busy and um, making sure my taxes are done on time. So yeah, that's coming up.
1: <laughs> I had to request an extension. I always have to. I don't know why. Yeah. There's just something about the springtime. I just can't get it together. <laughs>
0: I don't know. It's a it's a busy time of the for us. It's like spring is. I mean, like summer's coming. And then we just get slammed with, um, like, I know for me, like, I get slammed with um, treatment plans to update.
2: Yeah. 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 We usually have, yeah. like, end-of-year reports and, you know, and and enrolling new clients for September or, like, contracts. So that takes up our time during this time of the year.
1: Uh, yes. Busy, busy. Yeah. I'm trying to yeah. figure and out... We've- yeah. I just wanted
2: to also add that it was, this has been Eid weekend. So today's yes. the last day we go back to work tomorrow, but it was Eid here. So wishing everybody a Eid Mubarak for everyone who's listening here. And um, yes. we've had a quiet Ramadan and a quiet Eid.
1: <laughs> we have a few people watching us. And yes, yeah, sorry, I got distracted by seeing people comment on Facebook. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. Mubarak. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up, Mipa. Um, I know that's a a really special time, Um, although it's been a little bit different this year for many Mm -hmm. reasons. Um, We have a couple of people saying hi on Facebook Live. So we have Monica saying hi from Abu Dhabi and Bindu saying hi from India. And Leslie saying hi from Oklahoma. So we have people watching from all over the place right now.
2: (laughs) Hi, hi everyone. Hi, Bindu. Good to to have you here. And Monica and Leslie. Hi. (laughs) All
1: right. So let's dive into our actual interview. I'm thrilled to be recording this episode um, Nipa, you're one of my favorite behavior analysts in the UAE. And I know that may sound like, well, how many behavior analysts do you know in the UAE? But I actually know quite a few. Um, so I had the pleasure of meeting Nipa in person several years ago when our mutual friend Michelle Kelly had me join her in attending Nipa's Diwali party in Abu Dhabi. And it was so fun because it was Michelle from Ireland, myself, and Claire from Virginia. And Melody, who um, Claire knew from Florida, but is also Haitian. So we had like all of these different folks in Abu Dhabi (laughs) at a Diwali party. It was just like such an interesting like meeting of people from all around the world. And it was one of my most favorite just events that I've ever been to. The food was incredible. And it was so nice to to meet everyone. Um, but in addition to the, the personal social piece, I've admired Nipa's work from afar. So it was a real treat to um, meet you and celebrate the wonderful holiday together. Um, the other time that I saw you in Abu Dhabi was actually in Dubai. It wasn't in Abu Dhabi. I had the opportunity to, come, to go to your office in Dubai. And I think Ryan was with us on that trip. That's I can't right. remember. Yeah. 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 Um, And you showed us, I just can't, I remember like you getting out like the different binders for the uh, competent learner model and it was so organized. And I was just like geeking out, (laughs) just like, I wanted to stay here and watch you do all of this stuff. Um, I'm so excited for everyone who's watching on Facebook live and who's listening to the podcast to learn more about the unique and advanced applications of our science that NEPA is making. Um, before we dive into that, Nipa, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? You could go as far back as you want. Um, if you want to keep it focused on behavior analysis, that's fine, but just, you know, a little bit about how you got into the field and who you are.
2: Sure. Sure. So, uh, Yes, Megan. I remember that Diwali party. And I mean, I just wanted to say that that's Abu Dhabi. That is UAE, really. You know, it's like it's a cauldron of mixed cultures living here. We get to experience so many different people from all different walks of life and from different parts of life. And I am so very grateful that I have this opportunity to live here since 1991. So it's been almost 30 years now. Um, And I'm. I have enjoyed living here and I have I have enjoyed the, the the exposure that me and my family have had to the variety of people uh, in this country. So very grateful for that. And the second thing you said was like, how many behavior analysts would there be in UAE? I just I just looked up today. And yeah. as for the board, we there are 32, sorry, 27 active BCABAs, 132 active BCBAs and a 331 RBTs. Wow. So there's a total of 489 board certified people active in UAE. So that's a huge number. Yep. And I say that because I was the first person to sit the, sit the exam from UAE. I know that Swita, I was too used to live here, and she did her uh, pass her exam while living here, but I think she registered from India. So on the list i didn't i there wasn't united arab emirates and i had to write to them to create that for me so that was <laughs> the first person there and today we're at 489 so woohoo you know that's that's just wow. absolutely amazing and it's not such a long time i mean it is a long time ago for me but it's not such a long time ago for the field i i um sat the exam in 2008 so it's you know uh, not that long for a 418 percent growth
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow that is incredible yes. um thank you for pulling that information for us
2: <laughs> yeah i was just yeah, I, you know i was curious today because i was when i was thinking of what i'm going to say and i was like okay i was number one and where are we now and it's wow so yeah that's grown quite a bit yeah, absolutely. And uh, so my story, um, I moved. So before I moved to Abu Dhabi, I uh, I actually graduated uh, my my bachelor's week with economics. I had nothing to do with behavior analysis at that point of time. Then I uh, I was I was living in India, and I went on to uh, open a boutique clothes design was something that I was doing. So completely different from where I where. I am now. And then um, uh, my husband uh, and I moved to Abu Dhabi in um, 1991 Things were very, very uh, small and, uh, uh, you know, there was not much potential as to practice economics or or clothes design in Abu Dhabi. And so by uh, default, like, you know, just, uh, I I used to love kids and I still do. And so I was offered a job in the early education um, in a British school over here. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it, you know, it's fun. And so that's how I entered education. I stayed an early education teacher for 13 years uh, and loved it completely. But literally from the first year, uh, my first student that came in with additional needs was in the first year of, uh, as I was working. And I had no idea, like I had no clue. All I knew was that she needed more than what I could offer and I had to do more. And so that's where this journey began. And I kind of, you know, she, I asked mom if she would send her home to me so that I could work with her at extra hours at home. Mom used to bring her to my house, and we used to we were trying to figure it out together. It was, um, it was challenging in those days because you know access to information wasn't great. The um, UAE was a small country; we couldn't really there weren't many universities here where I could access people to ask for help. So it was trial and error on my own and reading from wherever I could so that was 1992 and then you know went on for 13 years kept looking at what I could learn more because I, I liked early education but very quickly found that um, it wasn't as gratifying I needed it was easy and I needed to do something more like I needed something more challenging you know, to, to end, and and I kept getting drawn to children who needed more. Um, autism at that point in UAE was not even heard of. Like people didn't know what it was. People didn't understand what it was. There wasn't acceptance, cultural, social. Everything was very, very much uh, just beginning. And I'd say around 2002 or three. I came, I stumbled upon Pat McGreevy, Dr. Patrick McGreevy's workshop in Dubai. Oh. Can you believe that? Yes, he did a wow. two day workshop in Dubai. And I was like, wow. I, you know, I had no oh, idea. What was he who presenting walked. on? It, yeah, just, you know, for Broadly broadly for parents yes and so it was just you know that's the basics and um I went and attended then and I was just blown away by him and by whatever this thing was because (laughs) I didn't know what it was I was like I want this I I need to learn this this is what I think I can I it, it gets me I get it this is what I need to do more of and so uh pursued it since then tried to find as many kind of you know workshops or trainings or whatever I could there weren't many but I did a few and then um, I met Smita Avasti over there and um, I did some she was still studying to do her BCBA and she um, had proposed a uh, training for people who were interested so I did a I think it was like a seven, eight week training where every weekend I went to Dubai and she did some, some just didactic training. And that was very interesting. That kind of uh, let me dig deeper into behavior analysis and thought maybe I can do this. So then I looked for a mentor because there was nobody here who could mentor me uh, who to do my fieldwork supervision and all of that. And Dr. Siri Ming, uh, how top. did
1: you get so lucky
2: <laughs> I everyone told me that she was she was <laughs> mentoring a few people I think in uh, not in UAE but in the region like in the stuff. and everybody who I asked told me oh no she'll never take you and I was like okay like right, you know we'll try <laughs> and I wrote to her and she said yes of course so I, I i think again very grateful for having such great mentors uh you know like she was she's she's still my my supervisor because i'm a busy abs so need supervision yeah i uh you know and i i mean who, who better would i get so that that still continues that relationship and so i started that i took the course sequence while i was still uh I stopped working at the, at the nursery. And then I started doing home-based work with uh, families that needed support here. And uh, those were the days of video recorders and Skype. <laughs> <So, laughs> yeah. So I used to have to take a tripod with me and set up a video machine uh, <laughs> that recorded the entire session and go home and then look for parts that I can send to Siri so that she would look at and she would, you know she would give me supervision tips on that so it was uh, interesting I wouldn't want to do it that way again because it was <laughs> really it took loads of time but the good thing with that was I got to see me again like you know all my and so I learned so much from just watching what I was not yes. doing right or what I was doing that it was it was awful at the beginning because I was like what am I doing what is this (laughs) but but then uh it helped it really helped me get better because you know when you're in a region where or in a place where you don't have any access to other professionals it's really lonely it's like once or twice a month uh, I get to see Siri and that was it you know and and a few emails and it was it was really like I was (laughs) It was hard. I must say that was a hard thing to do, and and there was constant questions about: Am I doing this right? Am I, you know, really messing this up? Who am I? The whole, you know, and this big imposter thing kept showing up all the time. It's like, who am I to tell this parent what to do? Who am I to go into their home and fix these things? Who am I? What am I? Who am I? <laughs> but, um, but I stuck with it. <laughs>
1: and um, I'm so glad you you stuck with it and didn't let the <laughs> who am I get in the way
2: yes it was yeah, yeah I, I mean I can I, even when I talk about it now it's like ooh, yes it was hard <laughs> um but I must say there was also it, it did I it did cause me so that and some other experiences with the way behavior analysis was being taught and practiced um After my first course at UNT, I I had a burnout. I was like, I can't, if this is what behavior analysis is, I can't do this. And I like a simple thing like escape extinction, you know, it was something that as an early years educator for 13 years, I just couldn't, couldn't understand why one has to go through all of this when you know that this you know just the precursor just when the kid begins to show right. me someone who's out of baby but he's saying no so why do i have to you know yeah so but the thing is i was young and naive and i did not have the vocabulary for it i did not have anything for it siri was very good in pointing me in all the right directions and uh, but I guess I didn't spend enough time looking for other ways and I just burnt out. So we'll go back, go to my burnout later on. But so I (laughs) took, I took a break. I took a break from coursework and ABA for almost a year and then went back to the coursework again and then finished it later. Well, you know, then, then it went smooth in a sequence. Yeah. So that's kind of uh, me. Um, Uh, by the end of my coursework I realized that I needed to get out and get more experience work in ABA settings and um, CD uh, encouraged that a lot because all I knew was me and that wasn't good enough right so so I uh, I tried to take as many opportunities when I would travel to India I would go into settings which just had children there. they didn't have ABA but they had some children there and I would try and work in different settings so that I was getting that and then um, the last six months before I, my exam I looked for an internship uh, in the states and so I got I wrote to many places and Star School uh, which was owned by Dr. Jim Partington uh, accepted me to go in there and work as an intern uh, so I did that and that was a great experience where, you know, I was, they were doing the ABLEs are rewriting the ABLEs as ABLEs are at that point of time. So I got to see all of that. It was very, very interesting, but I realized when I was there that I am one behavior analyst, assistant behavior analyst in UAE. Um, this program needs like a person and a half per child. And that's not something, it's, it's not, it's not, it's a great, great, great program. A person and a on. half. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we we had no capacity here. So, yeah. and I I couldn't go back, uh, come back here or if I was going to go back to India and, uh, and have a program that needs that many people on day one. So I had to find something that would help me build capacity and have a sustainable program which will not need so many behavior analysts which can take people off the ground and get them ready to make those decisions and implement programs without having to spend that many years and hours and dollars to become behavior analysts you see what I mean like you know not not very uh, so And that's when I spoke to Siri again about this internship is going great, but this is what I'm looking for. And she said, I've been telling you, you need to go meet Vicky (laughs) Chuchi in California. She's the author of Competent Learner Model. And I'm like, I don't know. I was like, oh, but this sounds so big. Competent Learner Model sounds so huge. And I don't know if I can do that. Just go meet her. So I did. I wrote to Vicky and she said, yeah, come over. I have a uh, cottage outside my house. You can come and stay here. (laughs) Like (laughs) You know me from nowhere and you're offering me to. (laughs) And she said, yeah, just come. And so I went and I have not regretted that ever. That's the best decision I made.
1: So, yeah, that's me wow that's wow. It's that's story. so amazing like there's so many people in there like yes. big names amazing practitioners that you just happen to have interactions with but you also took that extra step right like you these things could have just existed and you could have gone to the training and like never done anything with it you know but you Constantly battled that, like, who am I? Whatever. And you just went for it, and like, as you explain more about what you're up to, people, I hope, are listening and hearing what the difference it can make to just send an email, to just ask the question, right? Even if you're like, ah, why would they want to hear from me? um This is why. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, and and really, it was it was like it was like I said, earlier it was hard, but the 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 and Siri always said to me, it's like, just write to them. They want, and you know, I come from a culture. uh, I think it was also a cultural bias. I come from a culture where, you know, like university professors are God and you can't ask them for things and they're not going to share stuff with you and they're not going to have you in their homes. You know, that's the kind of, uh, place I came from. Maybe it's just me, but that's where I came from. And then Siri's asking me to write to Jim Partington and Pat McGravey. And then these are like, you know, and Vicky Tucci. these are gods. <laughs> it's like when, Why would they even write back to me? And then when, when I, when they wrote back and, you know, and I was like, wow. Yeah. And they were all so very, I think our field being young at that point of time, people were really open to collaboration to sharing to giving, which I think isn't happening as much as it as it used to. But um, I'm I'm just just truly grateful that I had all those opportunities and all those people were there and I was able to access that.
1: Yes. That's so amazing. Well before we go on to the next question, I just want to give a quick update because we are broadcasting this live on Facebook. Um, Feel free for those of you who are watching to share. This broadcast for other people to join as well but um, maggie says hello and shelly lynn says hi as well um chrissy hi. says Nepa is an inspiration vicky's actually watching and says hi um and she said <laughs> um, vicky said nipa has done some incredible work with children and um monica and bindu agree <laughs> so <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, it's so good hi Chrissy hi hi everyone it's so good that you guys are watching um I'm I'm just sharing the same old stories <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right Joe do you and want then, to ask the next question or did you have yeah and
0: before we go on Shelly Lynn also said that I wish that kind of collaboration would happen more yeah. and yeah. I, I agree I mean that's amazing that collaboration happened that early in our field and having that collaboration, what happened, we expanded our field and, um, created a positive impact on more kids in the world. So like for me, that's super important that we, we need as we need as a field to continue that collaboration because what, who are we benefiting? The kids that we come in contact, the families that we come in contact with. So, um, that's amazing. But so What has your journey been with ABA um, since you completed your coursework?
2: So um, I completed my coursework and passed my VC ABA in 2008 and uh, at that point of time I was working part-time in a rehabilitation center here where I was setting up an autism department and uh, when I came back and uh, I had already met Vicky and she uh, very generously uh, provided the competent learner model for us to set it up in the future center where uh, uh, we were setting up the autism unit like I said and uh, so I came back and got busy setting that up. And I loved doing that because, uh, you know, uh, the Future Center was generous enough to let me try something new. Uh, You know, that's, I I think there were so many, so many pathways that just opened up um, on my journey. Uh, I don't know why and how, but that's how it happened. And so I got that opportunity to implement the competent learner model entirely in a setup which had, you know, which which had students and staff and and uh, and a and a physical setup. So it was very uh, I was very lucky to be able to do that. Um, the competent learner model in itself, uh, for those of you who don't know, is and uh, is a model that's based on ABA, direct instruction and precision teaching. Mickey Tucci is the author of that model. And it's not it's not a curriculum only, or it's not, it is a an implementation model. So it comes with a package which has its tools for the learners. So it has a you know it has a, an assessment tool and a curriculum. It has tools for the instructors where you start training them right from day one. So you could have anybody who can read and write English, use a computer and wants to work with children and come in and begin the training. Uh, The training courses are are online and then there are are courses to mastery. So they have to be uh, practicing under the supervision of a trained coach and implementing and they go through that. They take the training, they become certified instructors and then certified coaches. So all of those tools are there for everyone to use. And the third thing that they have is the implementation design, the administrative tools. So they have the tools for practitioners, the tools for the administrators, whether it's in a school or whether it's in a home for parents. so and it recognizes that uh, that, it's, it's kind of designed based on the science of implementation. So it recognizes per phase, when you go into a home on day one, you will not have certain results. You will not have certain outcomes because you have to put things in place. You have to put structures in, in place. And each phase has its own requirements and outcomes designed, which you just have to go in and look at and, and see what you need to do next. So the entire entire package really produces consistent results. Everybody speaks the same language, everybody agrees on the same methods, and everybody is using uh, the tools consistently. So you could walk into a CLM classroom or a CLM home in any part of the world and ask which phase are they in and which lesson is the child in, and that'll give you a very very quick idea of the entire structure without having to go into long discussions or reports. So that was really, really uh, something that helped me as a behavior analyst when I came here to set up the team, get them training, get them started and uh, get them running. So uh, I enjoyed doing that. I did that for four years at the Future Center and uh, again hit burnout. So something again, we'll talk about later, but, um, and, and, you know, there's, there's like a whole story behind that, but yes. And that's, that's when uh, I, uh, but by that time we had certified coaches uh, within the comedy learner model in future center. So I was able to move out of there and the, the program and the model still continues over there. And uh, that's when I decided that I needed to do something else to serve more people. By then, UAE was getting, you know, getting with the on with the game, you know, getting on with the awareness piece for autism, with the acceptance piece. We were working a lot on on bringing, raising that awareness. And the need, of course, was ever-growing but there was also more places more behavior analysts coming in so there was there was some kind of professional community being formed Um, my experience as a behavior analyst initial years like I said was very lonely Um, I had to to really uh go into like uh, very, very layman uh, explanations all the time. My language, my professional language had to be very basic because people, you know, there was I mean, jargon would have just made them run. So I, there was no way I could use any of it. I lost a lot of my professional vocabulary over the years because I didn't have to use it ever. And uh, once it started to grow, it was in silos, kind of, you know, there wasn't, uh, because I think there was no platform, there wasn't collaboration happening. We had, uh, the Future Center had the ABA program, the New England Center had the ABA program, so there was little groups, but uh, I think uh, when Michelle Kelly came to UAE, uh, she set up the Middle East, UAE, Middle East, and uh, that brought a lot of professional collaboration like people came together people started to talk to each other get to know each other so i'm very grateful for her having come to uae and setting this up uh, for that platform up for networking um overall my experience i would say has been good um, i want it's to be better from the perspective of collaboration, as you said earlier, Joe. There's a huge need. Um, The whole multicultural aspect, because people come from different histories, uh, they they react or they behave or they collaborate differently. And um, there's also a, a culture of consultative behavior analysis. Rather than implementation of behavior analysis, um, you know. And so it's more like everybody who uh, becomes a behavior analyst or who is a behavior analyst b- begins or or practices as a consultant. Um, that's the way the design of businesses has been here. One has to remember. I, I should have mentioned this earlier, but in UAE, all ABA services are private pay, um, unless they are. Uh, in certain, certain organizations here, which are, are under education and government-based, the expense of it only for Emirati, for UAE national children, some very few Emiratis uh, and children. So because it's private pay, it's designed as a business. And so there's some uh, how do I want to say this? There's, there's some things that I don't like about it. Although my company is also a business, I'm not going to say it's not, it is, but the, when you have a practitioner own a business versus a business person own a business and a practitioner who's an employee, it changes the, the value statement, you know, it changes the, 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 the focus. So that's something that I would like to see as a change in uh, behavior analysis. Behavior analysts are, are burning out very fast, very uh, quick in this kind of environment, because there's one behavior analyst who is doing everything uh, and also has to meet the number of hours and the numbers at the end of the month. And it's, it's, uh, it's it's hard it's really causing burnout people are you know like I have seen so many behavioral analysts come here very excited into UAE and two years later leave really jaded and so I think that that's where some work mean need, is needed uh, I think more more work is needed in that in that sure
1: yes <laughs> wow there was so many great like pieces of information in there Um, On Facebook Live, there was a few people commenting how much they love the competent learner model. Um, And I I was saying for you or anyone else, if anyone's interested in doing like an introduction to like CLM for the Do Better Collective, I'm sure everyone would like to learn more about it. My quick spiel (laughs) that I give on it when I'm trying to explain it to people because I'm not trained in it myself, but I have seen Vicky present and a few other people and I've done a few like workshops and things. One of my favorite things about competent learner model, and I, I just wish all behavior analysts did this, is the fact that it focuses on the learner <laughs> and, and making sure that the learner has the skills in place to learn. Um, so Vicki has done an incredible job. And of course, you know, those who have worked with her over the years and creating these stages of learning and really looking at, you know, the prerequisite skills and systematically like the scope and sequence is just phenomenal. Um, So that's one of my, I know you said like you were talking about how like you could go to any site and talk the same language and people are doing the same things. And that's amazing too. But my favorite part (laughs) is just that focus on the learner and assessing, you know, what's going on for them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as we are talking about the competent learner model, I want to kind of talk about one thing that where that blew me away when I first saw it and it still does every day, is um, uh, you know, uh, you know, as as all other curricula have, these skill sets that people teach, and you know, they they name them all different things. Uh Vicky has uh has called them the seven repertoires, which are you know required for any any person to be a competent learner. And uh Six of them are like what we what we see everywhere, you know, like, you know, observing and um, problem solving and reading and writing and listening and talking. So those are she's written them beautifully. Each each um, uh, level has its own lesson format and all of that. But the seventh repertoire, which she calls the participator. Uh, which I have not seen anywhere else. It's like it's it's a it's a condition, a particip- an instructional condition, and for, across four conditions is what we work in, right? It's teacher-directed, peer-directed, semi-directed, and non-directed. And we, as NCLM, you systematically teach your learners to participate across all these four conditions. So it's not about just teaching the skill, to talk or read or write or listen, but to teach it across participating across all these four conditions. And that produces competent learners. That produces learners who then are able to bring together the skills that they're learning And build on top of those skills on their own. We don't have to do multiple, multiple exemplar teaching all the way in their life for everything new that they come across because they have generative skills. They are learning skills that are generative enough for them to, to plug them in together so that they can then perform new behaviors without having to be taught those. And I think that is like, the, the thing that blows away my mind every yes. time because yep. I know I see we see parents saying oh, but now he's doing this and we never taught him this yes and yes, <laughs> yes and that's the whole goal that we don't want to be teaching him everything all their lives we want him to teach skills that he can learn from on his own so yeah so that's you know the competent learner model one of the the really cool things about that yeah.
1: <laughs> We had a couple of more comments come in on Facebook Live. Um, There was, um, let's see, I'm just trying to get to the right spot. Um, Shelly also agrees profit cannot be the primary focus. There needs to be a balance. It's difficult to find as employee and owner. Um, And Monica said, she agrees with you. ABA is hard to practice in the UAE. And I've I've been connecting with Chrissy as well about potentially trying to set up a competent learner model discussion around the public schools that she's been working on too. So yes, you can have multiple great. CLM presentations.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Chrissy is great. And her experience is, is really, really, uh, I, th- I think that would be very good for people who work in public school settings uh, in the US because I think she has so much to offer with that.
1: Yeah. So um we didn't, I I always have follow-up questions. So feel free to say please do. Please
2: do. <laughs> no, please I am too. Otherwise I'd be you. talking
1: too much. <laughs> um one, my first follow-up question is just broad and it's just um how like because I I'll tell you my background on this. So my first encounter with CLM specifically, I, I'm I promise this isn't just a CLM focused podcast, yeah. but um I had uh you know, when I lived in Virginia, there's a CLM site up in Richmond, a, a few of them. And I had these encounters with people where they were BCBAs, and they um they had jobs and then were told like, "Oh, as part of your job, like we're using the CLM." And they were very rigid) <laughs> surprise. Um, And not they were not very open to like the language used and all of that kind of stuff. And I was and of course, at that time, I was pretty rigid, too. So I was like, Oh, I don't know what is this? Like, I'm not sure this just seems like behavior analysis, but like using different words or whatever. And then I was fortunate. um, A year later, I was in grad school at Ohio State getting my PhD and uh, my friend Mary connected with Vicky, and we had like a Skype session at some point and she was talking to us about stuff. And I, like I said, I got to go to some presentations and learn more and I was just blown away. Um, but I think back to that, like rigidness of my own reaction, but also the others. And I actually went back to the others and I was like, Hey, you know, I've learned more about this and I really like it. And The reason the language is this way is so that it can be more connected, especially in the schools, because not everyone speaks our lingo, like you already said, Nipa. Um, And they were still really rigid about it. (laughs) I was just like, come on. So, very long question. But my my question is have you experienced anything similar in the work that you're doing in the UAE or anywhere else, like in trying and working to um, use CLM in different spaces or just in general, I guess, with like behavior analysis too?
2: Yeah, so um, the thing is, like, my company is really small. And in the last, uh, 2016 is when we established it. But before that, whenever I spoken about CLM to behavior analysts, practicing behavior analysts elsewhere, They're all like, what is it? And then when they look at it and like what you said, similar reaction is like, oh, but why? Like, why why does she call it this? And why do I have to learn new vocabulary? And, oh, but it's too, and I've said to some people, we've also kind of... uh, if somebody's shown a lot of interest, Vicky's is happy to let me kind of share a couple of units to just let them see what it's like. And they'll, and then they'd say, Oh, but it's too basic. It's too easy. And <laughs> I was like, okay, come and practice it. <laughs> and so, so that's, that was the experience generally with, uh, with behavior analysts. Um, although there have been some people who have been genuinely very interested in, Seen it for what it is and and taken so much from it even if they have not like yourself who have not really gone ahead and completed the the course of study or anything but see i mean they can get the the zoomed out lens and look at what all the parts and see how it comes together and why why this can make such a big difference um after we started the company i've interviewed a lot of bcbas who uh, we would want to hire. And most of the time at the interview level itself, it was easy to tell that this person is not going to be wanting to do this because the requirement for uh, anyone who works with us at whichever level, whether it's the instructor level or or beyond up to a BCBA, BCBA, D, They have to take the course of study and they have to do it the way it's not just like read it through, they have to do the performance checkouts and the verbal checkouts with a certified coach who may not be a BCBA. And that seems to come in the way of a lot of BCBAs because oh, but she's not even a BCBA and she's gonna tell me what to do. Egos I'm done, I'm done with learning. I've already learned everything I need to. So, yes, you know that has happened. Um, but I've been very, I mean, I've been very fortunate. We have uh, hired BCBAs who were young and who who were very so thirsty to learn and were very keen on learning, who had not had excellent experiences in their own histories and were looking to learn more. And uh, they they are doing, they've taken the entire course of study, uh, learned from people who are not BCBAs uh, and, are doing such a wonderful job. So I think there's, you know, there's people and there's people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's good though, that you're able to tell even at the interview level that like, so you're not wasting time on people. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it's unfortunate that that has, that happens, but at least yeah. you can tell. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's been hard.
2: I must say that it was initially, I was myself, and I would, in the first year when I would interview a BCBA, I would, I was personally wondering, like, why would they do it? They're not going to do this. They're not going to learn from others. And then, um, Kathy Scada, who is our director of implementations, uh, kind of really, really, Said no, Nipa. You just have to say this. You have to come out and say this is mm-hmm. what is required of them. And if they don't want to do it, there's no point. Like you said, there's no point wasting our time. Yeah. Because if whether you're with it or we are not, like you can't be on be a BCBA for a team who doesn't believe in the tools that we use right? who doesn't agree with the methods. So that that would not help. So yeah, I am again fortunate to have good mentors who told me. <laughs> what not to do
1: <laughs> in the time I, yeah <laughs> i w-
0: i would almost want to say like even being a bsba in this field like if you get this field thinking that after you complete the coursework you're good for the rest of your career I, you shouldn't be in this field like i, I just don't see yeah I, I think it's a requirement as a bsba that you should always be hungry to learn more and be willing to learn more um yeah because this is a science and science change and um we learn more and new things come up and like okay well let's adapt and let's learn and um let's do what's best for our kids Yeah.
2: yep i think what you're saying joe is so so true but it what happens is when um uh, i mean i'm just going to say that when when you when a person or a company or a group of people don't have uh, a mentor or whoever is leading who a leader who has a value based vision uh, you know like they they're not working towards is a specific value based vision which they all agree on right so, so mm-hmm. th- you could have a value that that is uh, the same for the entire group and everybody agrees on that and then you keep coming back your leader whoever your visionary person is brings the entire team back to like whatever decisions we are making is it congruent to the values that we have and if we don't then that's when this happens and like shelly was saying earlier uh you said on the facebook uh, um, chat and monica was saying that it's 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 hard to be practicing in this field if you don't have a team that agrees on the values uh, and that's when You know, things like maybe the VCBA really wants to do what is right for the learner, but their their environment or the team or the business doesn't allow them to. And that just creates this pull, you know, you have to do this, but you can't and you want to, and that does not it's not great for anybody. Right? Yeah. So it's, and it's, it's hard to do that and to continue to come back to it. But even before that, it's just hard to have that clarity to have to know why you're doing what you're doing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I yeah. don't think a lot of people have that, <laughs> right. Yeah. Like they, there's, there's not like overarching values that they've identified for. That's just, Oh, this is, you know, the job that I'm doing. <laughs>
2: yeah. I, I do think that should be part of the training. Like, yeah. you know, uh, like especially in, in in work, the kind of work that we do, especially when you're working with the autism population uh, or, you know, or with, with any kind of marginalized population, you, you really need to know why you're doing what you're doing, because Mm-hmm. otherwise what's like you know it can't just be money we all need to earn and we all need to survive and we all need to save I, I am not not saying no to that but i don't see that that can be the focus or the reason for us to get up and go to work to, to do the work that we do because if that's i could do many easier things and so <laughs> get that,
1: that money. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is
2: a hard one and why would you choose to do this yeah
1: well and i'll i'd argue too it can't just be for the love of our science there's a lot of Mm -hmm. people that that you know love behavior analysis and myself included that you know go this route just because of that but that can't be that that's not it either because then you lose touch with the human connection piece and you get so overwhelmed over drawn into the science part that you forget how to like be a human Yeah, Yeah.
2: absolutely. And all our subjects are human. All our people are human. I mean, we work with humans and you can't remove the humans and just keep the science there, right? Yep. It doesn't work.
1: Right. Um, We have a couple comments from Facebook. Um, Shelly, we really appreciate your active engagement with us (laughs) here. (laughs) I feel like you're a a second guest for us. Um, Shelly agreed we need to be continual learners. Um, and values-based vision is essential. I really like this comment. She said, "Lack of vision equals burnout." Yes. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Absolutely. All right. My other question for you, my follow-up. Um, so we, you and I, have talked a little bit, checking in over, you know, COVID and everything. And I'm just kind of curious if you want to share because we did not talk about talking about this. But what, like, what impacts happened in the UAE with um, the work you were doing for the past year from COVID? So,
2: yeah, I can, I can talk about that, but I would just want to go back a little bit before we get into this is, uh, you know, (laughs) I wanted to talk about my team, like, because that's important to (laughs) what's happening. So uh, when I and I think, yeah, my story was, it's never finished. <laughs> so uh, when I stopped working at the future center, then I uh, wanted to, and I really wanted to do something that would be sustainable and useful for parents. So I started something called the autism support network. It was just a platform to connect people uh, who were touched by autism, whether there's parents or professionals so that they could make their own little groups and then do their stuff with each other, having these multiple cultures and, uh, Families here, it it was kind of a barrier also because you know people didn't speak the same language. Their home cultures were different. It was hard for people to connect with other people from different cultures when they already had a child with autism. So, we this group was formed, and that has mushroomed into many other different. Bigger groups doing their own stuff now, so that was that was great at that time. Uh, it took a while, but it, it took off. From that, I met some the amazing ladies, um, and uh, they were in Dubai, and uh, I, they heard about the CLM and they wanted to learn more, and uh, they connected with me and we started work. I started training them on CLM and uh, they started working in homes and uh, they. that was my team and that became my team, uh, you know, and we started doing some home programs together and then that kind of mushroomed into working in a nursery together and training more people. And today, uh, before COVID, we were forty people in the team, forty ladies, all women, in the team. Wow! And yeah, but we then COVID happened. So at that time, we were working in nurseries uh, in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. We would set up a classroom within a nursery, and uh, so that we could have on-site uh, inclusion um, opportunities. Children were going to their regular settings rather than going into clinics, uh, and um, we were. That was an ongoing. Intervention and training ground for us. We were doing the same in homes and in uh, nurseries. And then COVID happened, so we had to shut down the nurseries. We were not allowed inside nurseries anymore. Nurseries closed and they've opened now, but we are still not allowed in because we are external providers. So, very quickly we had to look at what else we could do and it took us about two months to figure uh, out that we could do home programs once they would give us, gave us give us permission and it took about four months we closed in march and in july we were given permission to go into homes so then we started doing home-based work we continued our training programs online and uh, that's kind of my, my team came through with all the changes, with all these challenges. With We lost a few people because they had to leave the country. They had to go back home. Um, we survived this. We are now looking at how we're going to use everything that we learned in this year. We became a lot closer as a team. Uh, I must, I mean, I'm thankful in that way for COVID for giving us that opportunity to connect better, to stand by each other, to learn from each other. And we also got more flexibility with time and things because of the whole online thing. So we were kind of working at night, working in the morning, working whenever everybody was at home. So lots of work on ourselves. And uh, on on our teams with each other uh, happened during this time, so that was kind of the great thing that happened in COVID. We lost a few of our staff members. Bindu, who is watching, is one of them who <laughs> went back to India, so we miss her loads. Aww. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm hoping I, I, I have like a, I, I believe that once things are better, we will be back and, and growing uh, further for sure. Um, families really struggled. Uh, without yeah. services uh parents were working from home they didn't have services they were worried you know we we're early interventions. So if we're a year into a program and then suddenly there's nothing child was losing skills parents were losing you know faith they didn't know what to do so that was really hard um, for for the families for our team uh We hadn't gone into a lot of homes by the time COVID started. It was a very, just a few members of the team had done home programming earlier. So it was a whole new learning curve going into homes and, you know, figuring out how the material is going to work and how are we going to do this and how are the coaches going to supervise on Zoom while these (laughs) girls are working, running around inside the home. So those, I mean, those were our challenges. Uh, Also kind of, you know, Staff behavior with families, how different cultures, different languages, everything was so new uh, to them. So we had to set put aside a lot of time for our our frontline staff members to come back and download like you know, because they, they were they were they were scared they were worried traveling you know public transport or going into homes, being exposed to to more people and their experiences that. Experience is, uh, that they needed to talk to us about. So we, we, uh, we set up a lot of time for people to come back and talk, share. I use, as you know, I'm a big, big fan of ACT. So we use a lot of ACT for parents and for team members during COVID, a lot of it.
1: Yeah, wow. <laughs> you know nipa i completely forgot about you had told me when i was in i think the first time i met you and I, maybe it might have even been michelle that told me about that that whole thing that you started with the parents um yeah. i like completely like just yet another yeah. thing that nipa's done <laughs> i totally yeah. forgot about um but it's that's incredible how like that transpired over time you know yeah. to not just a, a group that was formed but that yeah. It's been so integral in, like, everything that's happened.
2: Yeah, it's it's been amazing the, with that, you know, I, I just think that um, a lot of other small things grew out of it, and, it, uh, you know, yeah, it was like, I kind of, I mean, sometimes I'm just kind of get, get so overwhelmed by the fact that all of this happened uh and that I was part of it (laughs) I was just just kind of right place right time maybe
1: (laughs) well I think you need to give yourself a bit more credit than that but (laughs) no but it was I think I think it's it's
2: I do think it's easy it's harder in certain ways but also easier in certain ways when you're at the start of something because there's like so many things so many possibilities
1: yeah yeah that's true. (laughs) Um, Well, is there anything else about the UAE that you want to share before we go on to the next question?
2: Yeah. So So I was saying like, you know, when Michelle Kelly came here, she started the UAE Middle East uh, Facebook page and kind of that was a platform for uh, behavior analysis to come together and talk, um, talk, talk the language. And uh, then we started, Sharifa Yatim was our first uh, Emirati BCBA from uh, UAE. And now we have four Emirati BCBAs. So that's another like a 400% growth, uh, which is huge. <laughs> and uh, so Sharifa, Michelle, myself, and a few other peop- uh, people from New England Center, we got together and we uh, kind of, a few years ago, started the UAE-ABA chapter. But it got formalized this year. Sh- Uh, about a year ago now, and we have a national UAE ABA chapter. So that's, I think, a huge uh, kind of, you know, step forward. And um, we are also working towards national licensing. It's all a work in progress, but the UAE as a country will have its own national licensing process. For ABA professionals, and so that's a kind of a big shout out to everybody uh, who has worked so hard here, um, and especially I'd say Michelle Kelly deserves a lot of praise for that because she's just you know she doesn't tire out; she just keeps at it.
1: Great. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> so yeah, she's she's great. Yeah. So that's uh, what I wanted to say about kind of the UAE uh, ABA starting from one person to now having a chapter and <laughs> having 489 active part- <laughs> professionals. It's, it's huge and, and growing, you know, and, uh, people, people are now really looking forward to, you know, big steps.
1: Right. Um, that made me think about collaboration. I know like we talked earlier about how, you know, it can be better in a lot of places and whatnot. Um, but wow, that's amazing. That like shows what can be accomplished when professionals are working together. There's states here in the U S that have been, I mean, we only, I think we're only at like 20 or like close to 30 States that have licensure. Right. And even here in Florida, there are behavior analysts who've worked together to try to get it. So I don't want it to be like rainbows and sunshine, like just because you're working together doesn't mean you're going to get it. But Yeah,
2: it's a long road, but I think it's just great that it's already on its way. so I, I think that's the intent um, is there and they've already, we've already started the work on it. So yeah, yes,
1: that's yes. awesome. And that's point so exciting. <laughs> yes. And, um, and I know Michelle also does a lot of really neat stuff. Are you involved at all with the different like lecture series and things that she does?
2: So she does it through the university where she works, to the college that she works, but uh, I have presented for a couple of them. And then every year in April, we do the Autism Month. And so uh, the Autism Support Network that I founded kind of collaborates with her university, with NYU. And we do, um, if it was in physical presence, we would do a conference at NYU and a whole em- Autism Day at uh, Emirates College for Advanced yeah. Education. This year, we do mostly online um, stuff but the cool thing with that I must say is when we first so when we first started doing talks and conferences in Abu Dhabi or in UAE they were mainly about red flags and awareness and you know it's kind of you know when you just start off and this year we did Michelle Kelly did one where it was parents telling professional professionals what they think we should know so we've yeah. evolved to a point where parents are telling us now what we should know, and we're not telling them what they should know. right? So that was one. Another one was uh, where we had three parents and one person on the spectrum telling us how uh, the landscape has shifted. what What are the shifts in perspective uh, from what in their journey? And I thought that was such a like a way forward for us to go from red flags to having a person on the spectrum talking about what their journey has
1: been like. Yes. 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 So yeah, that has been really interesting for us. And I love that you all are, are making those steps forward because it can be easy to get stuck in a cycle of just, well, this is how we've always done it. And these are the things we tell people and blah, blah, blah. But like we were talking about earlier, we, we need to be, you know, continuing to grow and do better (laughs) Um, as we learn more. Um, So that's awesome to hear such a great model for people to follow. And that's one of the things too, that I've talked to Michelle about, we did an ABAI presentation last year and I told her to maybe consider writing like a white paper or something on what's happening in the UAE and what you all have done there, because it's a wonderful model of what can be accomplished in other places.
2: Absolutely. I think so. Yeah. I mean, if, if we were to document the, the entire journey of, of ABA here, it would be a good, good rep replication model, like something that can be replicated. And, uh, yeah, I, I hope that happens. Do it.
1: <laughs> Follow up with <laughs> her afterwards.
2: I, I have to say, so of all the good things that I've done, one of the things I'm not so good at is writing, uh, academic writing, like, you know, writing all of, I can say it, but it's, it's just hard for me to do that. And Michelle Kelly is really the person for that. I think she would do such a wonderful job. Yeah.
1: Well, She's, Michelle, yeah. you just, you know, Michelle can take the lead on it and you can just help support her in it. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Anytime, yeah. We have so many such projects going (laughs) where Michelle has the lead and I'm just kind of, you know, following around and saying, okay, yes, whatever you say, whatever you need, I will give you the information, Michelle.
1: All right, well, we're going to shift gears a little bit. Um, Obviously, we talked about when we first got on that you're originally from India and still have family there. So I'm imagining you have some insight regarding behavior analysis in India. I have not had the pleasure of visiting India yet. And I'm curious what the presence of behavior analysis is like in such a, a large and highly populated um, country. Sure.
2: So, uh, as I was looking at numbers this morning, I also pulled out India's numbers <laughs> and
1: uh,
2: bring in the so data. In, <laughs> India has a total of 90 active people, nine zero, yes. And what's uh, the
1: population which- differential there? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, don't even go there! Um, and out of which, forty-two RBTs, sixteen BCABAs, thirty BCBA's. Oh, wait, and two it's BCBAs.
1: ninety total. 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 Oh, yes. <laughs> I, yes. I thought it was ninety BCBAs. No,
2: there's thirty BCBA's, <laughs> oh, sixteen no. BCABAs. Oh, no. Yeah. So that that is kind of uh, you know representational of uh, where ABA is. And I I don't think it's I think it's a function of many things, one of them being uh, the prohibitive cost of ABA training in terms of Indian rupees. This is I mean, this the amount that you would pay would be, um, you know, somebody's salary for five years, I'd say, you know, like it's, it's a lot of money. So that's that's one of the things that has been the barrier there. Um, secondly, of course, the access to training. There isn't much. It's all people just have to do it online. There's only one VCS in, the, in, in India. So that's been another difficult thing with such a large country if there isn't enough access. And uh, I mean, I know uh, in the last couple of years, I would say that online education has picked up. But before that, the access to physical Universities and colleges and education is quite quite a lot in the in India. So people are, would not automatically turn to online education and pay fifty times more for it. Yeah, that just doesn't go go well in people's minds, right? right. So that has been, I think, one of the things. Secondly, um, I think well, behavior anal- analysis it's not. Um, did not get the recognition that it should have for autism treatment. Um, India is known for a lot of eclectic mm, treatments, yep. which everybody, every home kind of comes up with their own. And so it's hard to get a scientific treatment, evidence-based treatment um, being accepted. Because this takes so much time. There's like a lot of barriers, cultural barriers, uh, financial barriers, economic barriers, time barriers. There's so many barriers to it that um, it has taken a while to even get acceptance. And then, just I think this is completely my own opinion. Don't, <laughs> no data on this, but I just think that by the time people started to kind of hear of it and take to it, ABA as a field is getting so much flack
1: mm-hmm.
2: for you know for so many other reasons that people who are just beginning to like it are now reading so much anti-ABA stuff that they're kind of falling off. They don't uh, want to do it. So it's not great timing for India, I think, that this happened. Um, professional collaboration in India is a big question mark. Uh, because, it, you know, ABA is not in universities. Anybody is practicing ABA is a private practitioner who is doing their own thing. And so there isn't anybody who's getting paid to, to, to grow this field. When you have somebody who is a university employee, they're getting paid to do a little more than for the community because that's part of their you know the the research or whatever time that they've given extra they can do that when a person is so they don't choose to they can choose to but they don't choose to and so that's another thing that i see is like there's nobody who really is doing this uh to grow the field there is the aba chapter but uh I think it needs to open up to more views and people with different uh, views to the field as a, you know, like I think what's happening, what has happened in the rest of the world with ABA has already happened in India, like, you know, closing the field. Like only, you know, there's only these views that can be ABA and nothing else can be ABA. Your practice is very narrow. So that whole psychological flexibility of acceptance um, and growth is missing.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It just fascinates me. (laughs) <laughs> we are supposed to teach people how to yeah. be flexible and yeah. and and so many people in our field love act and then here we are it's it's,
2: it's <laughs> like you know the act work that we do like every other country where i look at people who are practicing act there's so many behavior analysts on it right but in india india just uh, just uh, ha- have launched their uh, ACBS chapter Right. Yes. Yeah. and I I did a well, well I, I was part of the conference like I, I attended the conference and I was looking at the people in it and I'm part of their whatsapp group and there's like two other behavior analysts on it other than me out of That's the 36 <laughs> 46 <laughs> and I was like why are there not more behavior analysts on this there should be because that will bring teach us flexibility and that that's where we learned all of this and we can go back to it and but it's it's I think it's it's at that stage where it's in a silo of its own and like they don't want the psychologists can be in with us and um act practitioners can be with us and you know we are we are good by ourselves that's the space that they're in so I think evolutionary it will come it will take time.
1: Yeah. One of one of the things I noticed and I am talked with you about with this it is uh, it makes, I guess, maybe a little bit more sense knowing that there are only, would you say 30 BCBAs? 30 BCBAs. But I feel like when I see things happening in India, like posts about stuff that's happening, I only see like the same two or three people yeah. Um, and whether it's conferences here where people are presenting and there's the affiliation or like, um, you know, there's, it's clear that they're from India <laughs> or yeah. if it's something mm-hmm. being posted, um, you know, from, from a company in India or something like that. It's always the same. And that's wonderful. Like, I feel like I can yeah. get to know these people and whatnot. But I'm like, surely there have to be more than these two or three people. that could
2: I would say, again, one of the one of the things over there would be um, financial resources. Yeah. I, if I have to travel to an ABAI conference, I have to pay for tickets and a week's stay there and, you know, and, and a part, I mean, it's almost prohibitive, uh, that kind of expense. And uh, I, I mean, I don't know if ABI provides uh, scholarships or, you know, I'm sure that they do something, but Maybe some more needs to be done for countries low, which have such low income, you know, because you can't I mean, you can't charge in dollars for people who are earning in rupees. Right? You can't. So your clients are not going to be able to pay that kind of money and you can't are not going to be able to spend that kind of money to go visit conferences and all i i I consider myself grateful for living in uae where the price index is much better and so i can afford to do this i would not be able to do everything that i did like you know doing an internship in the us at my own expense i would not have been able to do that if i were living in india
1: right yeah
2: so i i think again the field is so focused on you know the western world and if we want to grow it to people to the larger side of the world where more people live uh, we we're going to have to do something about making it more accessible making it the services cheaper yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah that reminds me yeah. a lot of what i've heard adrian bradley talk about with accessibility and i've seen i think um a few different people uh, comments on this on like different Facebook things but I've you know Adrian and I have had specific discussions about for here and the work she's been trying to do to get more access to the field for black behavior analysts and just like the limits on the like they, they can't even get in the door because it's yeah. so cost prohibitive whether it's the conferences or the graduate training or you know the this or the that there's so many costs associated with it Um, two things came up for me about what you were saying one with the um, just one thing that I want to encourage. If anyone's listening to this podcast that organizes conferences or is responsible for putting things together, try to make sure that you're researching various people, because this is a problem in our field in general. And we've all seen it where it's like every conference season, it's the same people presenting whether it's here in the states or anywhere else it's like the same 10 people it's like somebody saw these people were presenting at this one conference and then they just get contacted to present at all the other conferences yeah, that's and true. that's you know great for those people or whatever but there's quite a few people in our field who know things um yeah. so i'm not trying to say you know like take away from the work anyone's done or anything but there are um like i know at least like you and then i know like um at least three or four other people that I've met, thankfully from my travels, like when I went to the Pan-African Autism Congress, when I, um, or just different projects I've worked on, I have met virtually and in person, different people from India that are working in the field, but I've never seen them presenting, you know what I mean? So point being, if you're organizing conferences, whether you're trying to have people presenting, representing like different areas of the world or, different topics or whatever try to not always ask the same people you see presenting all the time exactly. because there's different perspectives yes. that could be included yeah. um i think I mean, another maybe. shout
2: out also would be yes. to i'm just jumping in is like i don't know if this is like a far <laughs> i'm pushing this further like <laughs> if, if those people who are getting contacted continuously get contacted maybe they can then say yes. oh, i've yeah. already spoken three times why don't you ask so and so
1: Yep. And I do that yeah. too. I mean, eventually people's schedules get full anyway, but I, I do that, you know, if people contact me and I'm already too full, or it's a topic that like, I don't even know that much about and somebody else yeah. would be better. Um, yeah. or just in general, like I've I'm already yeah. doing like, certain presentations. Like I'll say, you know, but so-and-so knows this, like, let me hook you up with them right. instead. You know, um, right. yeah. that, thank you. Thank you for pointing yeah. that out. <laughs> um, The other thing that came up for me around like the costs and you, we may, we haven't talked about this in a ton of detail. So if you don't have an answer, that's fine. But Mm. I'm wondering for the IBAO and like the, the stuff that they're setting up the um, certification is, does that seem like that or something similar could be a potential um, way to address that barrier?
2: I mean, I looked at the IBAO stuff and um, it, it, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a good direction, but I, I worry about then, uh, I know, and I'm now speaking on the other side, and I'm worried <laughs> about the, the standards then, you know, yes. and like who is going to, uh, you know, because, you know, we are, we're talking about large countries. I mean, you know, large populations. And how are we going to hold people responsible ethically for what they do or don't do? Um, and, you know i know that there's no no real answer to this it is it is circular and we're going to either do this or that but um, i think more people need to sit down and talk about this and look into what are the possible options maybe they may not be a linear they might not be just the same option for the same for all but there might be some ways of looking at setting up standards and ethics and good training that need not be so prohibitively expensive, but gives people tools uh, to practice. The comedy learner model, it has yes.
1: everything. Yeah, <laughs> well, and that's the thing too, like is certification, so, I mean, I know, I know like CLM you know. has, the CLM has a certification process, right? It does, um, yes. So, and I, again, I'm not trying to take away from like some <laughs> of you know, the things that already exist yeah. in our field, but like, does it make more sense to, Especially with such a large population, start first with certifications in certain models, like CLM or yeah, private models, and so
2: that they yeah, private models who themselves are overseeing their implementations and have their own standards to live by, and you know have some kind of accreditation where there is yeah, and then that 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 would make sense yeah, and Um, it's not
1: the like you get the knowledge to to practice at like you to be a practitioner. Um, again, our science is amazing and whatnot, but there is a difference between a graduate level understanding of a science and practicing, like being a really amazing practitioner. I have met phenomenal practitioners who've never taken an ABA course, but they could clean the floor with some of the doctoral level BCBAs I know from a practitioner standpoint, they might not be able to have a conversation with them about research in our field, but you Mm -hmm. get them on the floor with a kid, they're going to knock it out of the water, right? Absolutely. Yes.
2: Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I completely agree. And i see that all, all the time, you know, and we need both. We need both yes. for sure. Yep. Uh, yeah. But we need more of the floor level people who need to be up and running quickly and they all don't need to be, Four certified right, <laughs> what, right. Yeah. I, I mean that's all I've, what I've always said like not everybody needs to be a BCba to make a difference we need you know we need people who can actually work with the kids and then you know have have supervisors who will show them the, the way yeah. yes
1: yes yeah. I love that we need more floor level people um and th- that made me think of one more thing about competent learner model that's my favorite um, and I presented last year um on this at ebai, the responsiveness to the learner, the training that's done with Confident Learner Model, it's all focused on observing the learner and like the decisions you're making about what to do next for your intervention in that moment are based on what you're seeing from the learner. Um, again, I think a lot of the times in our field, there's such a focus on, now I'm not saying there aren't steps to follow and things like that, but there's like an over-focus on you know, black and white, follow these procedures and like not enough focus on like connect with and learn who your learner is. Yeah. And the context. Yeah.
2: yeah. We have, we have so many of these formulas, A, B, and C do this and this and this, but, Mm -hmm. but what about the context, right? You know, because it's going to be different in different contexts and we don't always know what the context means. So you can't predict that. So teaching our practitioners to identify the context and then take action I think is is what what CLM does really well Mm -hmm. and what you were saying earlier is like what one of our standards is to provide multiple opportunities for the students to be successful every day so what what practitioners need to continuously look for is like what opportunity can I provide so that the learner will be successful Like, it's not about how do I extinguish this behavior? That's never part of the plan. (laughs) (laughs) The part of the plan is always like, how do I provide an opportunity for him to be successful? And if there's more success, then we won't have to extinguish anything.
1: Yep. Yeah.
2: So, yeah. So, Yes, and, and while we're on the comedy learner model, I must remember to say, if anybody's looking for information, uh, CLM Center of, uh, for Center of Excellence, and uh, I think um, Megan's going to put the link up there. Mm-hmm. They have certificate programs in CLM that anyone can take. Uh, they're, they're run through the University of West Virginia and uh, Clarion University. They have the BCBA and the BCABA course sequence, uh, VCS, uh, which where you take the CLM uh, course of study units and qualify to sit, and those those are built to qualify for your, to meet the requirements for your uh, board certifications. And there's also CEUs uh so you can do some just take some online work um, workshops to get ceus and there's much much more so just it's, it's a fascinating <laughs> learning resource management system it is amazing so yeah just go go for it
1: <laughs> check it out yeah we i posted the links um in the facebook live and uh vicky's been sharing a few links as well and i'll post um, them in the show notes too for those that are listening to the podcast mm-hmm. uh, Vicky also was mentioning there's a a library of videos and she was suggesting a certain one to watch. So I'll put that in the show notes too. So yes, you've, that's you've gotten lots good. of love on Facebook, Mipa. Everyone is really enjoying <laughs> what you. you're saying. It's, it's almost Thank too you. many comments to uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> share
1: at the moment. I want to make sure we get through all of our questions. So um, sure. was there anything else about India you, we should discuss before we move to the, the next thing?
2: Mm, I'm, I mean, I, I would love for, uh, to, to be able to take CLM to India, that's always been my dream. So if there's anyone out there listening and wants to bring it to India, to call me. And, <laughs> and uh, the second thing, uh, I think the more important thing is I would be very happy to collaborate with uh, with other behavior analysts and, and, you know, kind of start a dialogue on what next? Like, where is, where are we going? What should we do? And I know that there's a chapter out there. I'm not, you know, taking it away from them or anything, (laughs) but I'd be happy to have kind of more conversations more to see where, where this can go. And because I think, I think uh, the chapter is working at some kind of national level, um, you know, recognition for ABA professionals. And that is great. And I'm kind of happy to, help do more. So that's the two things I wanted to say.
1: Wonderful. And for anyone who's listening, Nipa, are you okay with me putting your email in the show sure. notes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So touch base with Nipa. send that email. Um, but also just, I just want to point this out in case somehow people miss this when, when you're involved in something, it happens. Like yes. you make things that happen. So um, you know even though you don't currently live in India if there are folks there who are like wanting have projects or things that they want if they're connecting with what you're saying about like the barriers being faced and and even want to learn more about CLM like you're the one who is like they need to connect with you because <laughs> you're just yeah. you're, a, you're a change maker so
2: Ooh, no. <laughs> <laughs> all I would want to say is that Having been in the field and being in UAE, I think UAE is like even geographically positioned such that it has access to more. And uh, so I have access and I'm happy to share that access for the betterment of the field in India. So just use me. (laughs) Love
1: it. Um, Bindu said, you are welcome to India. She's eagerly waiting. Let's bring a change. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Bindu, you know that. (laughs) (laughs) um all right joe do you want to ask the next question
0: yes so which we kind of of already
1: sorry real quick you touched on this a little bit so it might just be is there anything else you want to share for this one
0: yeah i i we i heard a few but um what are some of the biggest barriers you have experienced or observed as a professional um or for families in the uae
2: so as a professional, I think uh, when I first started out, the barrier was just lack of awareness, like, you know, not the, of the field of the science. So that was kind of like a continuous job of, of you know, talking about ABA before even, before even you can practice it. So that was uh, one of the things that was hard. Um, not having other professionals around and being lonely. I talked about that, that was hard um collaboration i must say in new is pretty good like you know you've seen like you know we we do a lot of work together we collaborate i would always be happy for more but that's just i'm just being greedy but uh, that has been great um the other thing that we found hard is and i think that's been kind of the the journey of behavior analysis in most countries is that the need precedes the availability. So you're constantly kind of you know, finding that gap and trying to fill that gap. Sometimes standards get uh, polluted, is what I would say, <laughs> when, uh, when that, that gap exists, because if the, the need is, the demand is higher than the supply, there's always there is going to be some pollution of the standards. So that's been uh, a worry uh, always as a professional. And it's like, you know, people, I hope people are getting the services that they deserve, that they need. And, uh, you know, th- that's that's one of the challenges that I uh, have faced. I, have, I, I can't say I've faced, but I've worried about. um The lack of kind of legislation and policies around autism, around ABA, uh, you know, we, we have to see that AB, uh, UAE is a new country, and they they have they have policies for disabilities, and uh, they they move pretty fast. Uh, you know, for for uh, a forty some year old country, now there is policies from like, they, this year. We got a national policy on autism just a month ago. So that is great, I think a great advancement, but but for my career to have gone through these last few years without any kind of policy and legislation has, has been a challenge. Um, the government is actively looking at making that better and I am grateful for that. And I'm hoping for better days with having uh, ABA being recognized as a profession. And then having the life licensure and, you know, all of that happening here. So that's great. For families, the biggest challenge has been paying out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) there's no mincing words to that, because, you know, it's not it's not like going to a doctor once or, you know, having one surgery and getting alone and being done with it with autism. It's kind of ongoing for many years, for many hours. So that's been that's the biggest challenge for for families. Um, Secondly, culturally, you know, kind of just just I think just getting your head around autism for anyone. For me, even today is a challenge. It's like, okay, somebody asked me what, you know, like a family member who just comes, my family member says, oh, can you quickly tell me what is autism? Well, I can't. (laughs) This is so much, so many things to it. So for a family or for a parent to just bring themselves around that and then, you know, all the trauma and the burnout and the financial burden and the cultural burden and the culture being pretty closed here, the acceptance piece that the male child piece, the work, you know, the, the, the blame, the guilt. I think those are universal challenges. I don't see them any different for a person who uh, is from any other part of the world. Um what adds over here is that most, eighty uh, percent of our uh, population here is expatriate. So there are families who have left their own countries and live here, and so not having that extended social network of your family members to support you, that is an added challenge for families that live here, because literally you find out your child has autism, and your friends. Are gone. (laughs) They don't want to see you anymore. They want. So I have known families who are stuck into their apartment and have not had any social contacts, like you know, at the weekend or going out with friends for years together. They're just themselves and their children, and they don't do anything else with anybody else because they have a child with autism. So I think that is a very isolating, very difficult situation for parents. Another difficulty is the language barrier. Right, you know, and that again is kind of all over the world. but you know most services are in English, and not all parents speak English, not all you know it's not their mother tongue, but then therapies are in English because that's the universal language here. So it's we find that pretty challenging as providers and for families themselves. And we've been, trying to learn how to be more flexible with it and all our stuff I might have a staff member who goes to six homes and they have four different languages and three different religions. <laughs> and so if wow. I'm trying to tell this person to like okay use the words they use at home but then you know milk has four different words and she's going to just get the therapist then get confused with which word are we using today in which house So that's that's challenging. I'd say, you know it's not uh, not easy, but flexibility is what we keep in front all the time and try and see how we can do that. We're the way we're trying to get around it, uh, especially this year with Covid, we saw so much more stress with parents. and we had we 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 were able to, bring them in and talk to them more because of this online. We were saving so much time on travel. So we've been able to talk more, work with them more um, using, uh, you know, the virtual sessions. And that has helped us understand them more and them understand us more.
0: Yeah that's a lot that's a lot I can't imagine how many like that's even more barriers than um we have in the states yeah
1: yeah 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 Yeah. they're similar I mean I see the same barriers pretty much everywhere I go but it's like the level of magnitude a lot of the times I mean obviously in the states like a lot of People have access to insurance now, but not everyone. Um, so the the funding isn't as much of an issue. But um yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> One of yeah, the I mean things people like, people have sold their homes or sold jewelry just to get like, you know, a year's worth of therapy. So
1: yeah. One of the um things that <laughs> was was very interesting to me when I was I happened to be in Dubai in April, um, 2000, I guess it was 2017. Um, gosh, how was that four years ago already? (laughs) But, uh, and it was, uh, it was like an autism world, autism awareness. Like they were having like a festival and, you know, in Dubai, everything's bigger, right? Like everything's bigger there. So we went to it and I could not believe the number of booths. For service providers, it was wild how many places there were and like they were offering all sorts of different therapies and services and whatnot. Um, And so from like the quality control angle that that's been one of my biggest concerns there since I had the pleasure of having a client, there is like the number of opportunities for parents to just get taken. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it's it's that's the worst I've seen it out of anywhere I've been yeah
2: yeah and that's a function of kind of you know availability of resources like people um, most most adults who live here uh, have a job like they're here because they have a job and so they have <coughs> they have money But not enough to of course pay any of this but that's why all the people who are selling are selling all kinds of things because overall if you look at uae there's there's always availability of more consumer goods like more stuff you can spend money on and that's because of the way the economy is right so and the same with with services for autism or for everything else and i agree with you we're all that's another challenge is how do we convince people or evidence-based strategies, evidence-based treatment versus others? Because you know there isn't any framework to do that. Once we have the national licensing, at least that will come into place, and, and if there's insurance attached to it, I'm hoping then that will be amazing. Then yeah. people won't go for anything else which they have to pay for.
1: Yeah.
0: One follow-up question I have is: I'm just curious about insurance in UAE. Is it do you get insurance through the country? Is like a nat, or is it through like private companies?
2: Through companies, so your employer is supposed to give you insurance, but then insurance does not cover. ABA because ABA is not a recognized treatment or procedure yet, so as a profession yet. So uh, it only covers it may. So, and then there's there's levels of insurance. So depending on what what level of employment you're at, you get different levels of insurance. And so certain insurances may just cover your very basic medical treatments. And autism does not fall under a medical treatment requirement I don't even know what the words are for it but so it's it's like you know you could they even a diagnostic assessment would not be covered wow wow! and then some for some people that is covered and maybe occupational and speech therapy will be covered because that go under the medical model whereas ABA is still not under the medical model so so it's it's different but I would say like most most uh, a, a very high percentage of population gets nothing. They pay everything out of pocket. Wow. So we have lots of families who are like you know who who are very kind of low middle income group families. Once they get a diagnosis, they will just send the wife and child home so that they can get some treatment at home, and the father will continue to work here, or the entire family will just leave and go back to their home country because this. They can't afford anything here. Wow. wow. I think I think the government is really looking into that, and I'm hoping that things will change soon. there there seems to be a move towards making it more equitable for all families. So hoping for yeah. that.
0: I'm hoping for that too, because yeah. the treatment is definitely necessary. Yes. Absolutely,
2: and so that brings us kind of into kind of capacity building, right? Building building parent parent capacity. How do we how do we continuously make sure we don't have to do forty hour, twenty hour programs? I don't. I mean, I you know this is like I'm sure the ABA community is going to like throw me out of into the sea now. But uh, I I do think that in countries where it's it's not not paid by federal or insurance or whatever it's just prohibitive how are you going to do 20 hours and 40 hours so why not do five or 10 hours and use those to teach parents so that they can continue to do the rest of the hours
1: yeah um Yeah. And and there's research on that. That's, I don't think you should be ostracized for that. If you are, well, that's just more reflective of some issues in our field, but there is research to show the value of coaching parents, especially Um, Amy Weatherby is one of the people I, I don't really get to work with her, but the research I do at Florida state is led by her. And that's the one big area that they are focused on with the early social interaction Mm -hmm. project, early start Denver model. And then there's other things. Someone asked about parent-child interactive interaction therapy um, in the Facebook chat. I haven't done anything with it. I've read some about it, and it and I know some families who um, who have learned about it, and it it does have research, but I'm just not that as familiar with it. But and then it just it also like in social work here and other fields, the focus whether whether it's autism or something else, ADHD is on if you can get the parents trained, um, yeah, then you don't really need to, yeah. And it, not even that they have to like do sit and do trials, but just oh. having, um, well, like with um, with Amy Weatherby's work and the Autism Navigator, they focus on teaching these like broader repertoires where it's like understanding active engagement and exactly. how to structure your routine and like make the best out of your moments and like really support, um, participation yeah all of those <laughs> yes. things and like basically like you were saying too with the competent learner model like if yeah. you taught people about these you know the way the ways that learning happens in a way that's easy to understand um, and then they can just promote and support these opportunities you don't have to sit there with a list of like things from the vb map or the ables no. or whatever and try to check yeah. each box off if you know how to promote active engagement and learning
2: that's it. Yes. That's I mean, and that's what I mean, We most of our coaching for parents is that we don't do skill like teaching them how to teach skills, but just activating it. When how are you going to spend your day if you're at home today? What you know, how does your life become better and your child ends up learning something at the end of the day?
1: Yeah. And um, this is a new thing for me and probably a whole separate podcast episode. But we did an episode with Hillary and Michael um, on Rye Parenting. Um, and th- the focus is on like helping parent or teaching parents to observe their child as like their own unique entity. It's not an extension of you <laughs> that you are supposed to <laughs> like make you it's they're their own being and they have agency and you should observe them and support learning in that way. So I really love that. But the other thing that I think comes up a lot and I just, you know, I have one child And there's so many things, you know, as well, Nipa um, and Joe, you're going to know soon that come up with, with being a parent. That's like your own struggles you have to deal with. And if we can help parents like navigate that, and that's where like the act stuff really comes in that um, you were interested in. But a lot of things that like, don't go well for families. It really does. Like, I'm not trying to blame the parents, but it really does like come down to, if you don't have your own stuff together, (laughs) it's going to be hard to help anyone else. Right. Um, So, you know, if the focus is only on the child and not like supporting the parents and helping them like navigate the stress of their own life and like have Mm -hmm. their own way of dealing with things, then it's, you're really like kind of running on a hamster wheel, you know, like you're not going to get as far.
2: We've learned that so much this year, uh, Megan, because, uh, you know earlier we were in the nursery and the child would get dropped off and picked up and then you meet the parents when it's time to meet them like once every 4 weeks and you don't really see they come for the meeting and you're only seeing that right you don't really see what's going on in their homes and behind their behind those those masks now that we're going into homes we were seeing like we were seeing patterns of like when that breakdown is going to occur Right. We would see the pattern, like you know, and and when our and we coached our instructors into reporting back to us what was going, like you know, little nuances of, like mom really is tired. Mom was not present today with us, like she was not present mentally present. And it, if we know that, we were able to proactively reach out and say, hey, like, can we help? Is there anything going on? Is there anything you need? Is there? And that has really helped build our relationship with the parents and also um you know we've seen we're seeing lesser breakdowns there they're reaching out now when they they feel that they that need which was not happening before because we we were not able to see those precursors and now we're able to so that's that's been a very interesting learning uh yeah.
1: for us this year. Yep. Yeah. Well we have 10 minutes left. <laughs> remember how nipa you're like are, are we really gonna talk for two hours <laughs> Yep, it's like i yep. could keep you here all day long who's, who's gonna listen everyone <laughs> will we have some people who've been on facebook live this whole time um yeah. and we appreciate I love that you guys thank you <laughs> um okay so the last question that we had for you um and you've talked a quite a bit about competent learner model. So the last question was just like to let us know how um, competent learner model and ACT have influenced your work. So I don't know if you wanna just focus more on the ACT side. You kind of have touched on both, but any closing points you wanna make about those two things? Sure.
2: So I know I know that I talked a couple of times about burnout. So when when both the times when I had that burnout, uh, what really helped me the first time I didn't know what act was and I just had to figure things out for myself. Uh, But the second time when I had my burnout and I reached out to Citi and uh, spoke to her, she led me to act. She said uh, I should look at it. And and I practiced it for myself for a year. Here I, I took ACT sessions with Ashling uh, Curtin from Ireland and uh, she, I, I really, I actually read more, talked more, and it made sense to me as a behavior analyst. I needed something that had structure and evidence behind it. And it's, it was still human. Like it was still human. It wasn't just data, 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 you know, and it was something that connected I connected with. So that's where, uh, it, it stayed with me because I, it, I saw it works for me. And uh, the whole my whole journey, like I said earlier also, was like, I love behavior analysis for what it is, but I didn't, I hated it for some of the things that I saw, saw in it. And I, I just, my, I didn't have the words then, and I don't know if I still say this right, is like, I, I, I felt that the humanness in it was not there like we're not we were not looking at people as humans we were looking at them so much as subjects and you know there's so much else it is not just your antecedent behavior and consequence the antecedent is your whole life previous to this moment is the antecedent it's not just what happened in the environment right now because you're carrying everything and I felt like we were missing that and I didn't didn't understand that I was not able to, to put it out there like this, but act helped me understand that brought, brought me to the point where now I, I think that compassionate practice um, is so important, you know, and sometimes if it's not, if it's not going to, to work in the moment, I'm, I'm okay to let it go. Because for me, the human connection is more important than than just making being right or doing it the way it's written in the book. I mean, I can go back; I will go back and do it tomorrow when it's when it's a better time, when I can set the context for it, or when we can, um, you know, engineer the learning environment for it. But but it's not. Uh, yeah, I think the flexibility is so very important, and keeping in mind where each learner, their histories, their parents, their, uh, comes from. And the same for my team, where each of my staff member or teammate is coming from today and what has been their history and what has been their learning experiences and what they bring to the table, you know, and how we can change those contexts to make things better. So we as, I think, ACT has really helped me be a better practitioner. Um a better human, a better parent and a better spouse, <laughs> I think <laughs> <laughs> or at least i'm i'm I can say that I'm more at peace with myself,
1: yeah I love it um I'm trying I'm checking there was a couple of comments that came through on Facebook live um just seeing if any okay, not related there someone was talking about um just asking if aim is related to act. And I said, yes. And then uh, they shared the social validity, you know, the, the yes, keystone absolutely. article, <laughs> one of my yeah. um, favorite articles, niPA that you were talking about, you know, losing the, the humanness, which is funny because as soon as we finish this, I'm going to be recording a facebook live to go out that's going to talk about that <laughs> so
0: it's really brought it up.
1: um but one of my favorite articles that i don't i guess it's not even really an article it was a speech maybe that steve hayes did but it's called third wave of behavior yes. of behaviorism from 2004 holy yes. moly man that one wow and yes. it, it just yes. really gets at what you were talking about um and it just it floors me that it's from 2004 and we're still experiencing. Like he said, exactly. we're the first wave, and like some people are still in the first and the second wave.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's it's like some of the things that you know I, I I have said to Vicky is like Vicky, you didn't publish this, but we've been doing this forever. Like since that's how it's written. I mean, I don't even know if Vicky was thinking about act, but her or her, everything that is there is is about. Keeping the context in mind, keeping the people, and it's not not only about the learner; it's about all the the entire team. Yeah. Like you, it, the way the coaching is done, the way we build teams, the way we we talk to people, the way we you know value every person's opinion is is so very act based, you know. And that is why I guess going back, I can think about it, is that is why it was congruent to what. I believed in, and that's why it stuck with me. Yeah. So yeah, I am so grateful <laughs> for
1: that. <laughs> yes. I, I'm so grateful that you had the opportunity to learn from all of these amazing people. And of course, Siri, it sounds like, I mean, I already knew she was an a, an incredible mentor She's and supervisor, amazing, but yeah. she really, it sounds like she really takes an, a vested interest and makes yeah. the recommendations of like how you can she's, do the things that need to be done
2: <laughs> so if anyone's interested in uh, like she's running right now a four-week uh, community of practice is what it is they've set up a community of practice and you can join it you they do a class every uh, once a week and then there's lots and lots of resources uh, for self-care and self-compassion Um, and so if anybody's interested uh, please email me and I'll send it out or look up uh, constellations is what it's called but I can I've seen that yeah yeah. that's the new it's amazing I'm doing it now and it is it's great because you get to connect with like-minded people and build your little community of
1: practice (laughs) (laughs) i love it um i'll post the link to that in the show notes as well Uh, that's another there's so many that's a one other benefit of covid there's so many of these like online communities that have started from it so that one is siri um evelyn uh yeah rebecca and julia julie yeah julia um awesome cool so all right well I don't want to keep you too much longer are there any closing thoughts you have before we finish our interview for today
2: just just be compassionate that's that's kind of my thing is uh, you know like you know whenever whatever to yourself and to everyone around you and you know like just stay light is what I keep saying like you know nothing is going to nothing gets taken away from you. If you've got it, you've got it. If you haven't, it'll come. Nothing is running away from you. So just,
1: just be. (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much. And sorry, Joe, this happens sometimes. I I like talk and the interview. I was telling nipa beforehand, I was like, Joe <laughs> probably won't talk a whole lot in this one because I'll just keep talking. <laughs> but We trade off. He interviews people and I don't talk and it works out. <laughs> but well, <it> <laughs> thank out. you so
2: much. <laughs> thank you both so much for this opportunity. And uh, I've loved doing this. I was I was nervous and I was like, what am I going to say? And is it going to be too much? But I'm, it's been like having coffee and just chatting. So this is <laughs> great. <laughs>
1: um well thank thank you you to everyone that's watching on facebook live um and i will we will be posting this uh episode on you know our podcast of course as well so thank you and i hope everyone has a good rest of their weekend and good start to your week nipa tomorrow thank you thank you so much (laughs) thank you all and thank you all
2: for those who are watching
1: Go forth and and do better.
0: better. (laughs) Thank you for listening to today's episode. Go forth on your quest and do better.